0: This is Sound Ideas, I'm Charlie Schlenker. Even at the city and town level, politics has become more strident.
1: This is a circumvention, of a conversation that is
2: tense. Point of order, difficult. Mayor. I'm calling a point of order.
0: Here, Bloomington council candidates say how they think they can get along. Plus, the normal town council candidates tell you their top priorities if elected. Illinois State University President Larry Dietz says he hopes the state will make student vaccination mandatory, and not too many McLean County jail inmates want to be vaccinated.
3: That and a news update on the way. This is Sound Ideas on WGLT. Support for Sound Ideas comes from Bloomington Normal Audiology, the best hearing device center in the Panagraph Reader's Choice Awards for the sixth year in a row. Bloomington Normal Audiology thanks the listeners and their continued vote of confidence as the leaders in hearing and technology. With a practice featuring five doctors, including two who wear hearing devices themselves, BNA takes a genuine interest in each patient and helps you keep hearing the most important sounds of your life. More information at BNAudiology.com Bloomington Normal Audiology, here for you.
2: This
0: is Sound Ideas. I'm Charlie Schlenker. Let's run down some of the day's top stories. McLean County health officials report 142 new COVID-19 cases over the weekend as the county's testing positivity rate held at 4.9%. The active caseload continues to rise. It's now 424, marking two straight weeks of increases. Governor J.B. Pritzker is warning that Illinois' progress out of the COVID-19 pandemic is stalling as the number of new cases and hospitalizations has increased. Pritzker says the growth in new COVID hospitalizations is preventing the state from entering into a period of expanded capacity limits. U.S. Senator Dick Durbin says he hopes Democrats and Republicans can come to a working agreement, which avoids eliminating the filibuster. He says Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Democratic leadership are anxious to move forward on the expansion of voting rights, gun control, and infrastructure legislation. But Durbin says the 60-vote filibuster threshold is slowing progress.
1: I've reached a point, to be very honest with you, where I think if the Senate is going to be productive We have to be ready to address new rules or changes in the rules.
0: Durbin says he's challenging Senate Republicans to work towards compromise to come to bipartisan solutions rather than eliminating the filibuster to push legislation forward on a party-line basis. This is Sound Ideas on 891 FM WGLT and WGLT.org. I'm Charlie
3: Schlenker. Support for WGLT comes from Bloomington Normal Audiology. BNA continues its educational video series, Hear My Story, with local patient Robert Handley. The
1: providers at Bloomington Normal Audiology are all doctors of audiology. They have gone that next step, so they're medical professionals.
3: Robert's full story can be found at bnaudiology.com.
0: You're listening to
3: Bloomington Normal's Public Media.
0: Illinois State and other public universities want the Illinois Department of Public Health to require students to be vaccinated for the coronavirus if they attend classes on campus in the fall. Over 2,200 ISU students have tested positive for the coronavirus. The sharpest spike in cases happened right after the start of the fall 2020 semester. ISU President Larry Dietz tells the Academic Senate he and other presidents and chancellors have not heard back from the governor or Illinois Department of Public Health whether their request for a vaccine requirement will happen.
1: You know, I think it's a good idea and I think it would, uh, uh, would help with setting expectations and uh, trying to get uh, some traction around that everybody should get vaccinated.
0: Rutgers University in New Jersey has announced it will require on-campus students in the fall to have the vaccine. Like ISU, Rutgers is a public university, but Dietz says he does not see ISU doing something like that.
1: Well, I guess, frankly, we would have the authority to to unilaterally do that, but uh, it would be unlikely that that anybody would step out on this uh, on their own.
0: It's also possible the public colleges and universities in Illinois could collectively decide to create a vaccination requirement. The University of Illinois has imposed strict testing requirements and even expelled students for not obeying them. Some long-term care facilities require vaccination as a condition of employment. Dietz says testing is different than vaccination and there's a difference between private sector care facilities and a public institution.
1: CDC recommends the vaccine to uh, everybody who's 16 and over but there's no federal or state mandate and so uh you know, there, and I presume that there's a reason for that. And part of that, I would imagine, is the you know the, the legal piece.
0: Dietz says public higher ed institutions in the state will be looking at the legal issues involved in a vaccine mandate. Apart from legality, he says there are also practical considerations that may affect the willingness of Illinois public universities and colleges to mandate vaccines.
1: The difficulty uh, with the required of anything is the necessary follow-up that you have to to do to make sure that you're enforcing whatever you're requiring.
0: Dietz notes K-12 schools have not imposed a vaccine mandate either, and he says that makes it more difficult for higher ed to act on its own. Universities already lose Illinois high school graduates to institutions in other states. Dietz says he does not think a vaccine mandate would accelerate the trend much, though if a student were already opposed to vaccines for philosophical or religious reasons, it might tip the balance. He says most students and families make decisions on programs and fit with a university. Dietz notes Rutgers is so far the only one of about 1,400 colleges and universities in the nation to impose a vaccine requirement. He says he and leaders on other campuses will be watching Rutgers closely to see what happens. Illinois Wesleyan University says it will encourage students to get vaccinated but won't require it while it's designated for emergency use. This is Sound Ideas. I'm Charlie Schlanker. McLean County has received a limited supply of the Johnson & Johnson single-dose COVID vaccine. So far, the county is using those for targeted populations, including jail inmates. County Sheriff John Sandage tells Eric Stock the one-dose vaccine is easier to distribute to those who are harder to reach. Still, only about a quarter of inmates took the vaccine when they were offered it.
4: When you have uh, a population that that is in and out and hard to to track, the one shot definitely benefited us.
2: So the jail population, of course, is a transient one, as you would alluded to. So what about new arrivals who come in after after this clinic?
4: Yeah, we. so our, our initial clinic, we had 64 inmates that chose to get the vaccine. Um, we think there will possibly be more um, once they see that there was no side effects or, or mild side effects from the shot. Um, and if that's the case, we will schedule another clinic.
2: What kind of participation did you have then? A 64 out of how many?
4: Out of about 235 that day. So roughly 25% of the jail population.
2: What do you make of that percentage? It's certainly lower than the general population.
4: I, I checked around with, uh, other county jails within the state, and that's pretty much the going average, um, somewhere as high as 30, 35%. But, uh, there's there's not a whole lot of interest statewide.
2: Why do you think that is?
4: I I, honestly, I don't know.
2: Is there anything that is done in the way of education on the part of the sheriff's office or the county since access to, you know, general information is a little bit harder to educate them about uh, the benefits of the vaccine?
4: There was. There was also an information uh, sheet given as to That talked about the vaccine,
2: the possible side effects and things of that nature. So you believe that some of them will be inclined to come back a second time around after after they see others not experience side effects?
4: We're hoping so, yes.
2: So what COVID restrictions or guidelines are still in place uh, for inmates and visitors at this point?
4: We're not on uh, as much of a lockdown as we were previously. Um, There's limited groups allowed uh, out of their cells at a time face masks must be worn. We're constantly cleaning. All those steps have really helped us.
2: So can you explain what you mean by a, a limited uh, limited movement?
4: We, we make sure that there's no uh, mingling of staff between cell blocks. Um, there's no more than six or eight inmates out in the, the day room at a time, and they're social distanced.
2: In a normal time, what what would that look like? Uh, a
4: lot of times in the pods throughout the day, they're, they're all out. They can come and go from their cells, they please into the day room.
2: Is there any sort of expectation for when those will be lifted? Are you looking for guidance from the county or from the state or your own internal data on that?
4: We will use our own internal data on that. Like I said, we have loosened up uh, some from what we initially had, um, but we're just going to wait and see how the numbers go.
2: Mm-hmm. And when you say numbers, what numbers are you looking at?
4: Po- positive cases. Positive as, cases. As far as, you know, if we get any more
2: um was a message conveyed that higher vaccinations would perhaps free things up a little faster for inmates uh, is that a case that you could or did make to to inmates to increase vaccinations
4: no i mean we really can't make that promise because you know we could get a lot of people vaccinated and still have some cases so um uh... We didn't make any promises like
0: that. That's McLean County Sheriff John Sandage with Eric Stock. Sandage says about 15% of sheriff's office staff got vaccinated at the clinic, but he says he doesn't know how many may have gotten the COVID vaccine elsewhere. He says fewer than a dozen inmates and fewer than a dozen staff members have tested positive for the coronavirus over the last year. This is 891 FM WGLT and WGLT.org. The job of a normal town council member doesn't pay much. It comes with a lot of headaches. It takes a lot of work to listen to residents and translate that into policy. Yet nine people are running for election to three positions April 6th. The three that win will have to do their day jobs as well. And any council candidate has only a limited amount of energy and time to serve the public. And a lot of buckets to pour that time into. Constituent service, infrastructure, business development, race and diversity, affordable housing, budgets, and on and on and on. This story is about which bucket each candidate wants to fill with the most significant part of their energy. There are basically two groups of candidates, those who want the town to actively shape the future and those who say they think the town has done too much shaping. Steve Harsh is one of the latter. Harsh says he's critical of an activist mindset for any council member.
1: Given bucket loads of money to uh, uh, outside business to come in and directly compete with other like businesses for one thing, you know, millions of dollars uh, going out the window there.
0: Harsh says he also has negative feelings about the use of consultants to study policy choices and would work to stop that. To
1: make a decision that these people were elected to make on uh, common sense decisions, but that they feel gives them the credibility to go ahead and spend the money to do the projects that they want to do, that they want to force on, on the community, as opposed to letting the free enterprise system work.
0: Another candidate in the camp of those who want to focus only on the basics is Donna Tony. She says the council should reduce its attention on things she views can wait and pay attention just to service.
5: You know, the elderly are really the taxpayers. We all pay taxes, but they've been putting in for years. And my thing is, their water needs to be straight, okay? We are human beings, so our pores are open, and anything can come through that.
0: Donna Tony says she would spend her energy listening to residents to make sure the community as a whole has a voice to address problems. Carl Sealup says his biggest effort, if elected, would be analysis of what he thinks is appropriate for the town to do.
1: I'm good at looking at, okay... Is this really needed? Is there a better way to handle it? What can be delayed? Uh, and so on.
0: Sila is also in the government minimalist band of candidates who has questioned several council decisions over recent years, both big and small. So is David Paul Blumenschein who helped lead a trip to the Washington DC protest that became the insurrection at the Capitol. Blumenschein has not responded to WGLT contacts about his candidacy or the protest. The other set of candidates emphasizes tech development, growing the economy, and improving quality of life. Incumbent normal council member Scott Preston says it does take work to actively manage the future of the community and to keep it what he calls the best downstate community. For Preston, that means doing things that will keep a strong economy, good schools, amenities like the Constitution Trail, Uptown, and Parks.
3: Making sure that uh, there is, uh, making sure that you know we're doing everything reasonably that we can uh, to uh, to help you know provide safe and healthy uh, opportunities for the people of normal um, and the businesses located here. Uh, to be able to operate their daily lives in a way in which
2: they're comfortable.
0: Preston says the town record of protecting taxpayer dollars is strong. That also sets him apart from the slate of government minimalist candidates. Preston says the recent double whammy of a train derailment and fire and an apartment fire on the same day is an example of the town doing what citizens cannot. For another candidate, the biggest emphasis is constituent service. A.J. Zimmerman says he wants to take the temperature of the town on a frequent basis.
3: I want to uh, listen to what the what the town that is the constituents that is the residents and business owners have to say and and address concerns to the extent those concerns are are um, appropriately presented and thorough discussion is had of. of various alternatives and, and routes to be taken to address those
0: concerns. Zimmerman says he also emphasizes economic development. He says that means not just bringing in new businesses near Rivian or growing small business, but making sure small businesses have helped during the pandemic. Brad Middle <clears throat> Brad McMillan says, yes, infrastructure, social issues, and business development all need energy and work, but for him, the opportunity to be a council member is a chance to be an ambassador for the community.
4: To be a part of a leadership team that helps attract um, new business uh, to the region, you know, working with the Economic Development Council and the Chamber and the Again, I think these things are interconnected because if you grow the economy, then you're going to have more resources coming in to pay for the needed infrastructure. Kevin McCarthy has
0: been on the council for nine years, and he says if people have been watching, it's pretty clear economic development is his priority. McCarthy says auto industry changes and town efforts to bring in Rivian have paid off in a robust realty market and increasing manufacturing employment.
3: Our housing starts are up. Developers are coming to us three in just the last six months, asking for final plats to start building new developments in Normal. This is all really important stuff for me, for the the uh, resiliency and vitality of our future that is where it
0: is. McCarthy says economic development means stimulating not just the jobs of today, but the jobs of the future. He says if voters return him to the council, he wants to work on smarter infrastructure. That requires front-end investment, McCarthy says, on things like community-wide 5G access point design standards, so companies find both Bloomington and Normal predictable. He says the town will also have to decide on the next generation of intelligent traffic light signaling upgrades on state routes. He says choices made now will have long range implications for autonomous vehicles. So the town needs to plan. But McCarthy says all that pales compared to how the town manages information and makes it accessible to citizens.
3: So any resident can interact on their water bill or their garbage information, garbage pickup to be able to report, access, get response back very, very simply at a very, very low cost. And that's really what we're concentrating on, that technological innovation piece.
0: The final candidate on the list of those running who also favors managing the future and is pro-business development is Kimberly Cummings. But the incumbent says she would put the bulk of her energy toward social justice issues if voters return her to office. Cummings says that actually goes hand-in-hand with the infrastructure and includes things like affordable housing programs. Cummings says she prefers the term equitable, diverse housing because she says the word affordable evokes the idea idea of complexes and siloed developments for lower income residents. Cummings says expanding some town programs and making communities of color aware of them will help. Where you have more of the quote-unquote affordable housing mixed in with market rate housing um, and it allows people the opportunity uh, to even get encouraged to go into ownership. It's those types of things that we need to start to, to do and make our uh, community more inclusive in that way. Cummings says a combination of zoning and incentives can address the lack of moderate and low-income housing over time. For instance, Cummings says some communities require certain percentages of mid- and upper-end developments to be reserved for affordable housing. Cummings says programs to address social justice are important because for many years, racial disparities were not a part of the town conversation at all. In Normal, you can vote for three out of the nine town council candidates April 6th. I'm Charlie Schlenker. This is Sound Ideas on 89.1 FM WGLT and WGLT.org. As proven time and again, you can pack City Hall and protest and send letters to the editor, but if you can't get five votes on the council, it's moot. There's one week to go until the election. Ryan Denham has this look at how the candidates would approach
5: each other. You don't have to look to Washington to find policymakers who just don't seem to get along, politically or personally. That this is a circumvention of a conversation that is tense. Point
2: of order, Mayor. I'm calling a point of order. We're here to speak substantively about this initiative that's before us and Alder woman CREO has made this some kind of a personal attack for no justifiable reason.
5: That's Bloomington City Councilmember Jen Carrillo being interrupted by Councilmember Kim Bray. Ditto this exchange three years ago between Councilmember Johnny Painter and Mayor if Terry Renner. The agenda, actually, that is wrong. Um, uh, no, hey, 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 let me finish. Uh, excuse
4: me, uh, you actually one do one not one have, a yeah, point of order, you do not The
5: have. professional dynamics and working relationships will be key for the Bloomington Council after the April 6th election, because there's going to be a lot of churn. Four of the nine seats could go to new council members, as well as a guaranteed new mayor. Molly Ward is the only incumbent on the ballot. One aggravating factor is Bloomington's ward system. Unlike in Normal, where council members are elected townwide, therefore have all the same voters, Bloomington has nine wards. With low turnout local elections, those wards often flip on less than 100 votes. Mboko Milamwe is the only mayoral candidate with experience on the council, 10 years. The number one issue he sees in the community? I think it's, you know, the polarization that I have seen. Milamwe has pitched himself as a calm, fact-following, sensible candidate. He successfully pushed to make Juneteenth a city holiday. He says he'd like to find similar ways to publicly celebrate other cultures and bring people together. Once people have an opportunity to talk with one another and, and and spend time with one another. We're no longer strangers. Neither of Milanway's opponents, Mike Straza or Jackie Gunderson, have any experience as an elected official. Straza says council relations have improved since city manager Tim Gleason took over almost three years ago.
3: He's done his part. He's continues to do his part. So the city council and the mayor has to do their part. We have to work together um, for the city and yes, we'll have things that are our own personal thing. and. We have to acknowledge that, but we have to also know that we have to sometimes put our personal feelings
5: away. Gunderson says her experience on various nonprofit boards were a training ground of sorts for working with people.
2: There will be times that the city council disagrees on things. I think we all know that the, the city council is full of passionate people and people who want the city to do better. I don't think anyone gets in this job um, thinking that they want the city to do worse. And so understanding that we're all doing this together and that we need to show each other grace.
5: There are head-to-head matchups in four wards throughout the city. In Ward 3 on Bloomington's east side, Sheila Montney will face Willie Holton Halbert. Motney is a state farm executive, but she says that does not define in her life experience. She grew up in rural Arkansas. Her family wasn't rich. Today she volunteers to teach English as a second language to undocumented immigrants.
4: I will respect everyone for their points of view because all of us bring with our own histories, our own experiences.
5: Halbert is a Department of Corrections retiree and NAACP leader. Just because she's in an east side ward, Hulbert says that does not mean she doesn't care about the west side food desert or O'Neill Pool's future. Hulbert says she tries not to make politics personal. I don't assume when someone says something that I don't agree with that uh, they mean ill. I give people that benefit of doubt. In Ward 5 on the city's Near East side, Nick Becker and Patrick Lawler are vying for the open seat. Lawler is a high school teacher, and he says there are places where common ground is likely, such as ways to improve downtown. But Lawler says the council needs to have some tough conversations about police reforms, about the way immigrants are treated.
3: And we should not shy away from those conversations, Um, and that just because we are willing to engage in those conversations does not mean that we are creating that tension or that stress, we are merely kind of bringing it to the fore.
5: Becker says in his career in business, he's often played the role of peacemaker.
3: If you really dive in and understand not just what the opposing view is, but why they have that opinion and what is the the lens that they're looking through to get that opinion, then you'll find that, you know, if both sides do that. Generally,
5: we're closer to the right answer. In Ward 7 on the west side, Molly Ward is the only incumbent in the race, and she's only been in that seat since November. She is Carl Broman's spiritual care director, and she says there's a reason we have two ears and one mouth.
3: The more that I can listen and foster that safer environment, a brave space for listening, the more our community can come together.
5: Her opponent in the race is Kelby Cumston, a project manager overseeing affordable housing construction. He says working productively with those who don't see eye to eye with him politically is par for the course after a career on construction sites. Cumston says he met with every current city council member one-on-one when he applied unsuccessfully for the Ward 7 vacancy last fall. And I did that. I
3: sat down for an hour and talked to all of them. and And there's nobody on that council right now that I don't feel like I could... Uh, talk with and and work together on any type of plans and ideas.
5: In Ward 9 on Bloomington's northeast side, Jim Fruin will face Tom Crumpler. Fruin isn't an incumbent, but close to it. He served in the council from 1995 through 2017. Now he's trying to get his old seat back. Fruin says building relationships with other council members is key. Small, Open Meetings Act-friendly visits can help. Just going to the full council meetings is not enough.
1: But we can't spend our time as a group with one person or one issue if it doesn't have the support of the rest of the group.
5: His Ward 9 opponent is ISU professor Tom Crumpler. He says civility and professional courtesy are vital to the council's working relationship.
2: When you're talking about issues that are important, people can get, you know, um, passionate about issues, um, and and there maybe appears to be some divisiveness. You know, from what I see, though, um, that's tends to be the exception and not the rule. I think most of the council members, um, as I observe those meetings, you know, want, you know, to do what's best for Bloomington, want to get things
5: done. Another wrinkle is that four of the candidates you just heard from, Jackie Gunderson, Willie Halbert, Patrick Lawler, and Kelby Comston, are all running together as the progressive People First Coalition. Sheila Motney and Nick Becker have attracted their own similar base of support within their campaigns. The others have their own constituencies. Whatever the winning mix is, they'll have some work to do to get along. I'm Ryan Denham.
0: Learn more about what's on the ballot at our voter guide. That's at WGLT.org election. Thanks for choosing sound ideas on WGLT, made possible in part by Bloomington Normal Audiology. I'm Charlie Schlenker. This is Bloomington Normal's Public Media.